Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Good morning and welcome again to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you this morning, and we'd invite you, if you're able to come worship with us in person in North Mississippi, we'd invite you to come see us at Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church outside of Ackerman, Mississippi. Go check out our website too, macedonia-pbc.org. And you can also go see Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church outside Caledonia, Mississippi. And both of our churches meet for Sunday morning public worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., and then also we have a joint meeting on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. in Starkville, Mississippi at the La Quinta Inn. So we would love to meet you in person. If you are not in our area, we would love to hear from you. If you enjoy our program, you can go to our website at gospel-of-grace.com and you can get all of our past messages, subscribe to our podcast, find a church that's closer to you, and also be sure and send us an email if you enjoy the program and let us know through what medium you listen to to our messages. We would certainly love to have that feedback from you. This morning, we'd like to play you the final and third portion of a message that we have recently delivered on, is the sinner's prayer biblical? As we try to look through the Word of God and see if we can find the sinner's prayer, and then maybe consider what a more appropriate sinner's prayer is for the children of God. So, we hope this last portion of that message will be beneficial for you this morning, and we'll play that message for you right after this song. May God bless you.
Revelation chapter 3 and in verse 20. Jesus says unto the church at Laodicea here, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. So who is Jesus speaking to here? He's not speaking to the unregenerate. He's not speaking to the world. This letter is written to the church of the Laodiceans. It's not written to the unregenerate. This letter is written to those that he loves who are being chastened and rebuked by the Lord. That's verse 19. Jesus is not requesting for the dead alien sinner to let him into his heart. No, Jesus is requesting the lukewarm church of the Laodiceans that apparently had left Jesus outside the church. No, you open the door back to me so I can have fellowship with my church, with my ecclesia, my called out assembly. They had excluded Jesus from the church, and they needed to let Jesus back in. Which, furthermore, if this is a dead alien sinner that's not born again, that's having to open the door of their heart, well, how are you going to open that door? How's that dead person going to open the door? When's the last time a dead person did anything? A dead person can't open the door to anybody. You understand that if the unregenerate, dead alien sinner has to open the door to Jesus Christ to come into their heart, no one would ever be saved. No one would ever be, ever be quickened. No, this is speaking to the church. And Jesus is desiring fellowship with his church. It's not speaking to the dead alien sinner who has to open the door of his heart to Jesus Christ. No, how does God get into the heart? How does Jesus get into the heart of the child of God? God's not calling softly and tenderly and asking for your permission to come into your heart. No, Jesus comes and he sovereignly kicks down the door of your heart and he overpowers the dead alien sinner's heart and the new birth and gives us a new nature and a, we're born again as a new creature and we are quickened to life by the life-giving power of the Son of God, of the voice of the Son of God speaking to those that are dead in sin and giving us life. God does not need your invitation to come into your heart. God comes and he kicks down the door of your heart. Did Saul of Tarsus invite Jesus into his heart when he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the church? No. How was Saul of Tarsus born again? He didn't invite Jesus into his heart. Jesus came and he kicked down the door of his heart. He struck down Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. He overpowered him. He blinded him. And he was immediately conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in his soul. And then he, he had to get some knowledge from Ananias after that and he confessed Jesus Christ and he received the salvation and the deliverance after being burned over his sin for three days being blind and not eating anything so he got saved when he prayed and when he was baptized but I'll tell you Saul of Tarsus did not invite Jesus in his heart Jesus came and he overpowered him and he made him willing in the day of his power and that's what God does to every child of God he comes in and he takes over he takes over their heart he takes over their life did John the Baptist invite Jesus in his heart when he was in his mother's womb we find in Luke chapter 1 that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. He leapt with joy in the womb of his mother, showing the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit and the new birth while he was still in the womb. So how was John the Baptist born again? He didn't invite Jesus into his heart. Guess what? Jesus Christ wasn't even born yet. He didn't even have the ability to invite Jesus into his heart. No, he was born again by the sovereign, immediate working of the Holy Spirit on the heart of John the Baptist, even in the mother's womb. Now, we also understand from John chapter 3 and verse 8 that every child of God is born again in the exact same way, okay? So how is the child of God born again? The child of God is not born again by inviting Jesus into their heart. 
That doesn't work with Saul. It doesn't work with John the Baptist. doesn't work with those in foreign countries out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue that are among the family of God. No. How are sinners born again? They're born again by the wind blowing where it listeth. They're born again by the sovereign, immediate working of the Holy Spirit upon the heart of the dead alien sinner. Okay? God does not need your invitation. Jesus Christ does not need your permission to come into your heart. No, he is sovereign. And God does as he pleases, how he pleases, and when he pleases, particularly in the new birth. And according to the time that is appointed by God and is good in his sight, he comes into the heart of the dead lady and sinner and he borns them again. And every child of God is born again in the exact same way. Not by inviting Jesus into your heart, but by the direct, immediate, overpowering, quickening of Jesus Christ in the heart of the sinner. Okay? So now we want to return to our original question. Is praying the sinner's prayer a biblical command? And particularly, is praying the sinner's prayer to be saved a biblical command? Well, actually, the answer is yes. Okay? The answer is yes. You do need to pray the sinner's prayer to be saved. But we have to understand the purpose. We have to understand the context and the effect. You do not pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. I believe we've well established that. You do not pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. But there is a salvation and a deliverance for the child of God in their heart and in their soul when they accept Jesus, pray the sinner's prayer, and confess their sins. But this has nothing to do with eternal life. This has nothing to do with gaining eternal life. It's also very prevalent in Christianity to call upon the sinner to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Well, you know what? I want to implore you today to do the same thing. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But when you accept something, anything you accept, it doesn't make it true. No, you're just accepting the fact that it's already a reality, right? You don't accept something to make it true. You accept it because it's already true. So for the child of God, you know what? You do need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Why? Because he already is your Savior. And I'm so thankful that salvation is personal. I'm thankful Jesus Christ is a personal Savior. I'm thankful God loved the elect before the foundation of the world. I'm thankful God chose out a vast multitude which no man can number before the world began. And I'm thankful he loved you. If you're a child of God, I'm thankful he loved you. But I'm even more thankful he loved me. You know, Jesus is a personal Savior. It says in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, I have loved thee, personal. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I'm thankful God loved the elect, but this verse says God loved me individually with an everlasting love. Go do a Bible study sometime and look at all of these verses that describe our salvation in first-person pronouns, particularly the Apostle Paul writing many times put himself into the language to say, according as he hath chosen us. Why? Because election is personal. Salvation is personal. Justification is personal. And certainly, the new birth is personal, right? Jesus comes directly to the heart of every single child of God, especially the new birth is personal. It's not general. It's personal. So, with that being the fact, if you have been born again by the Lord and feel a conviction of your sin, well, you know what? You need to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And there is a peace and a deliverance that comes from that, but it has nothing to do with gaining a home in heaven. So now, I want us to consider together what I believe to be the true sinner's prayer, the true sinner's prayer that we see in the Word of God. And we get this sinner's prayer from Luke chapter 18, 
and we'll read verses 9 to 14. And Jesus spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but they despised others. And two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, he was standing afar off, and he would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but he smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So here in this parable, Jesus is contrasting two men, their prayers, and where they are placing their confidence and their hope. First, we see the Pharisee, and we see that he trusted in himself that he was righteous. What was the basis of the Pharisee's confidence that he was righteous and good before God? It was his works, wasn't it? He thought that he was better than everyone else around him, the publicans and the extortioners and all of the supposedly ungodly people around him. He thought he was more godly than everyone else, and he put a lot of confidence in his fasting and in his tithing. In other words, what was his hope of going to heaven? It was his works. The Pharisee put a confidence in his works as the means by which he went to heaven. And that's not any different than saying, I prayed a prayer to go to heaven. You might be asked, why do you feel that you're saved? Why do you feel that you're going to go to heaven? Because I prayed the sinner's prayer. Well, that person is placing their confidence in the same thing as the Pharisee did. Something they did. They're placing their confidence in their works. And all that's ever going to get you is condemnation and doubt and fear. Because if you place your hope of eternal life in something that you did, Satan will always make you doubt if you did it properly. Maybe I wasn't sincere. Maybe I didn't say the right words. Maybe I really didn't mean it. Maybe I wasn't in the right spirit. Satan is always going to make you doubt that. Why? Because you're putting your hope of eternal life in a work instead of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And furthermore, that's why our works can't be the means of our eternal life before God because our works are filthy. Isaiah 64 and verse 6, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We don't have any hope of righteousness before a holy God. You see, we can't place confidence in something we do, including a prayer. Instead, what is the confidence that we have of eternal life? Look at the publican who is contrasted with the Pharisee here. He was so convicted over his sin that he would not lift up his eyes to heaven. He smote upon his breast. He felt to be a wretched, undone sinner with no hope before a holy God. So what does he do? He falls down in his soul before God and he cries out, the true sinner's prayer. And he says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What's the only hope for a wretched, undone sinner before a holy God? What's the only hope? The mercy of God. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. He knew he deserved hell. He knew he deserved God's judgment and wrath and condemnation. And he says, I don't have anything to offer. You know, the Pharisee said, look at all this stuff I do have to offer. Look at all these reasons that God, you should look at everything I've done and declare me righteous before you. The, the publican looked at everything he had and said, Lord, I don't have anything. The only thing I have is sin. And therefore, my only hope is to fall down before the throne 
throne of the king and say, Lord, please have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, please don't give me what I know I justly deserve. You see, that's the true sinner's prayer. You know, there were some people in Acts chapter 2 that were pricked in the heart. They were convicted over their sin. This publican is convicted over his sin, so much so that he says, I have no righteousness of my own. My only righteousness is in Jesus Christ. If I'm going to be saved, it's got to be by the mercy of God. You see, that's the appropriate sinner's prayer. But notice the effect of this. Notice the effect of this sinner's prayer. Jesus tells him that he went down to his house justified rather than the other. Now understand, justification is a declaration of righteousness, and this is not when that publican was declared righteous before God. This is not when he was born again. This is not when he was saved to heaven. We see from him being so convicted over his sin, we see that he's already exhibiting the evidences of a convicted, born-again child of God. He is already born again before he prays this prayer. He's already justified before God before he prays this prayer. But he didn't feel very just, did he? He didn't feel very good. He didn't feel very right. But when he fell down before God and said, I don't have any hope in myself. My only hope is in God's mercy. God gave him an assurance. We talk about justification by faith. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God and access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. You see, we already stand legally and positionally justified by the grace and the blood of Jesus, but faith is how we access that. And when we access it, what does that give us? It gives us peace. This publican didn't feel very peaceful in his soul, did he? No, he didn't feel very peaceful at all. But he went home feeling at peace with God. He went home feeling justified. You see, there's a big difference between being justified eternally in God's courtroom and us feeling the effect of that justification in our heart and having peace in our heart, feeling justified by faith. You see, the finished work of salvation has been accomplished by Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross. But there's a big difference between someone being saved legally before God and them experiencing salvation in their heart. And you see, when this publican prayed this prayer saying, God's mercy is my only hope, now all of a sudden he felt saved in his heart. He felt right. He felt justified in his heart, whereas previously he felt condemned. He felt that there's no hope for a sinner like me. He felt there was no way that someone like me, that my sins could be paid and I could live in heaven with God. But then after he prayed this prayer, God gave him assurance and peace and hope in his soul. You see, his soul didn't need to be born again. His soul needed assurance. His soul needed peace. This is not when he went to heaven, but this is when salvation came to his heart, okay? And that's what comes to the child of God when they pray this true sinner's prayer, not saying, I prayed a prayer, and because I did this, now I get to go to heaven. No, that's salvation by works. And when you put confidence in works that you perform, inevitably, Satan's going to start chipping away at that, okay? Satan's going to start telling you, you didn't pray the right words. You weren't sincere. And you know what? I can't tell you how many people I have interacted with that came from that kind of a belief that have now fallen on their feet like this publican and said, God's mercy is my only hope. They have told me that they have prayed the sinner's prayer a thousand times. Why? Because on that 999th time, they questioned that it wasn't good enough. And as long as you are putting confidence in you praying the sinner's prayer to go to heaven, Satan will always make you doubt that prayer you prayed.
You will never feel true peace. You will never feel true assurance as long as you are putting your confidence in a work that you perform. And that's what a prayer is. Prayer is something you do. It's a work that you perform. We need to make sure we understand that if someone is convicted over their sin, they are not in need of praying a prayer to go to heaven. If someone is truly convicted over their sin to where they have a desire to pray this kind of a prayer, that means that they are already born again. And I want you to understand that. The effect of this prayer is not to go to heaven, but furthermore, if someone feels this kind of conviction, that means that they are already born again. And again, and I can't tell you how many people I've heard their testimony in coming from this sinner's prayer background that they prayed the sinner's prayer, they doubted, they had fear, and they felt unsaved. Even though they prayed the sinner's prayer a thousand times, they still felt like they were going to hell. Why? Because they weren't putting their hope solely in the mercy of God. They were putting their hope in something they did. But instead of you being afraid, child of God, that because you don't have confidence in your work, you shouldn't have confidence in your work. But instead of you being afraid that you didn't pray the prayer right, I want to give you the assurance of the gospel and the assurance of the word of God that you are not a hell damn sinner. You are a born again child of God already. You are a born again child of God already. So if you feel this conviction, you need to pray the sinner's prayer, but you don't need to be afraid of hell. You are not a hell damn sinner. You are a born again child of God that is pricked in the heart. Now there's something you need to do. The same thing Peter told the people you need to do on the day of Pentecost. You need to repent and be baptized. And I'll also tell you, you need to go find a primitive Baptist church. You need to find a primitive Baptist church that believes in the sovereignty of God and salvation and salvation by grace alone. And you need to confess Jesus, but you need to confess Jesus Christ at a primitive Baptist church and be baptized. You need to pray the sinner's prayer, but you need to be baptized among a group of people that believes in salvation by grace alone and not salvation by a grace plus your prayer doctrine, okay? Because as soon as you pray that prayer, grace is gone. It's salvation by works, and we are not saved by works. But I want you to have assurance, child of God. If you feel conviction because you don't think you've prayed a prayer right, you are not going to hell. That is evidence that you are already a born-again child of God. And furthermore, that is evidence that God loved you before the foundation of the world. That is evidence that God elected you and predestinated you to heaven before the foundation of the world. That is evidence that God has already born you again by his Holy Spirit. And that is evidence that at the end of time, you will be in heaven with God in eternal life for all of eternity. But I do want to implore you to pray the sinner's prayer. Fall down at the feet of our sovereign God and say, I have no hope in and of myself. My only hope is in the mercy of God, in the love of God. And scripture affirms that you will feel assurance. You will feel confidence and hope that you're among God's children. We're told this in 1 John chapter 5 and in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. There were people that already believed, but why did you need to know the gospel? That you may know that you have eternal life. The gospel was not sent, and preachers are not called to make you doubt if you're really a child of God or not. No, the gospel was sent and God called preachers to give you assurance. 
to cry unto Jerusalem, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, to cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned and she has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. To tell you that Jesus Christ declared on the cross, it is finished. The work of salvation is secure and done, completed on the cross. You need to believe it. You need to confess it that you may know that you have eternal life. God does not intend for his children to run around their whole life doubting if they're really a child of God Maybe I didn't pray this prayer right. Maybe God's going to send me to hell. No, you need to know that you are God's child. Why do you know that? Because you love the Lord, because you believe in him, because you have a desire to confess him, and you don't place your confidence in the prayer you prayed because eventually you'll doubt it and think you didn't do it good enough and have to keep praying over and over again, but it'll never be good enough because you're not placing your confidence solely in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the mercy and the grace of God. So I want to call upon you, child of God, pray the sinner's prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And if this message has burdened your heart today, and if you've prayed that prayer and you've been given relief, please contact me or contact a primitive Baptist church that's closer to you and repent and be baptized. Covenant together with the local assembly of the primitive Baptist church who hold to these doctrines. Not placing the burden upon men to perform a work to go to heaven, but calling upon born-again, sin-sick, pricked-in-the-heart children of God to confess Jesus as their Savior and feel the peace and the assurance that comes with justification by faith. You need to go pray that sinner's prayer today, but even for those of us that have been in the church for a long time, I need to pray that prayer today as well. This is not a message for people outside the primitive Baptist. No, I need to pray this sinner's prayer today as well and recommit God be merciful to me a sinner because Lord knows I need God's mercy every single day because I sin every single day. But take confidence, child of God. Salvation is not by prayer you pray. Salvation is by the sovereign grace of God and the new birth is by the immediate, direct calling of the voice of the Son of God on your heart as a dead alien sinner. You're not born again by works that you performed. You're not born again by prayer you pray. You're born again by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Believe that fact, confess that publicly, and you will receive peace and assurance in your heart. And I certainly pray that that'll be the case for you this morning. May God richly bless you. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi. 
and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the man.